to the BioCharisma podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. This week we have Dr. Narco Longo. I'm going to try and find out what that synonym is actually, or pseudonym, what it actually refers to. Uh, this young man, he's been a wonderful, wonderful resource of information dealing with Atlantis, Old World Florida, and everything to deal with what could have been the uh, mythological old world. Uh, you guys have listened, hopefully, to my my podcast I did with Gabriel Peters, you know, Slick Dissident, where we discussed uh, the possibility that the United States, not just the United States, but the continental uh, North America was actually the old world that was spoken about in Greek mythology. Dr. Narcolongo's work talks a lot about how uh, the largest Greek colony in the world, other than in Greece, was in, I believe it's New Smyrna Beach, Florida. We're going to talk about all these different cities and uh, landscapes that I grew up around. And um, we are, when you're a Floridian, especially when you're a, a, a disco baby and grow up in the 80s and 90s there, uh, there was still a, some mystery. The population really hadn't popped yet, and you could still get your, your feet into nature and, you know, urban nature, but still there was a lot of things going on there that as a child, um, I had lots of questions <laughs> and not many answers. So it's been such a wonderful resource to have have old, the old world florida youtube site because i just throw on a video and it, it brings me back to my childhood and then also uh, brings me to one of the great topics of of inspection for me which is atlantis um i've i after reading timaeus and in, in ninth grade i was i was obsessed with atlantis and then i've had friends that have done a lot of alchemical work like Dr. Moshe Daniel that discussed Atlantis. And it, it's just, it's a wonderful allegory, if anything, for um, our time now. The many, many, many different similarities that are described. So we'll get into all these uh, resonating subjects and uh, dive deep into it. I think I have him for a couple hours. So enjoy the podcast and I'll see you on the flip side. We are here with Dr. Narco Longo of Old World Florida YouTube channel. How's it going, my man? I'm doing well. How are you, Chris? I'm awesome. I am so happy to be having this interview because I'm a Floridian. You're a Floridian. We got to unite. We got to stay together. I heard you on the One One and One podcast, uh, I believe, about two months ago, and ever since then, I've I think I've consumed all of your media except one video. I hope I haven't been bugging you too much on, on IG. Not at all. Great. I think well, you're, you're breathing and uh, catching some wind on the mic, it seems like. I'm in the trot, I'm down in Costa Rica and the only room I could get that had decent lighting, the only way it's not like sweltering hot is I have to have the fan on like oh, okay. super high. So that's yeah, right. a little bit. Can you really hear the, the fan? A little bit, but it's okay. Yeah. I'll bear, I'll bear with it. Don't worry. Yeah. 
um, my my guys will will clean it up and post. <laughs> okay. So I, I kind of want to start with you. Uh, just I, I would like for you to describe to my audience sort of what your big picture view of our cosmology is, because from what I've been able to discern from your videos is you don't believe the the standard narrative of history anywhere close to it. And you have this beautiful blend of mixing astronomy with astrology, with geography, with, you know, getting into, into clothes, getting into dyes, getting into all these different things. You've, you've, you're pretty much a holotropic thinker. Like I, I kind of have self-branded myself that way too, where you just pick, 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 pick all these little things all over the place. And before you know it, you have this convex dome that's like focusing a, a, a pretty coherent view of the world. So I'd like, I'd like for you to describe to people how you actually see this existence. Like what is this existence and where are we at in it? I don't know, man. That's, that's a pretty broad place, <laughs> place to start. It um, is. That's kind of an, you know, like a 105 mile per hour pitch, you know? Uh, yes. I'll, I'll, I'll calm it down. Cause I have a tendency to do that. Um, let's, let's back up a minute to your last video that I watched about the baobab trees in, in Hollywood. So I grew up just in plantation, Florida, like just up the street from Hollywood. And I used to love going to Hollywood because of its trees. When I was a kid, it was like the last place in South Florida where you had all the live oaks. And there were so many, okay. neighbor, there were so many neighborhoods where we could climb the, the live oaks. Like my neighborhood in plantation, which you just shot a video on the plantation golf course. Um, if, I don't know if the if the banyan trees are still around in that neighborhood, but like that was my friends and I like we lived in those banyan trees, and so we were always tree climbers. And so we had friends in this in this neighborhood in Hollywood, East Hollywood, not all the way east by A one A, but we would go and we got to climb these huge oak trees, and that circle that uh, what was the name of that park with the with the circle and this. <clears throat> young circle young circle mm -hmm. so young circle before they renovated it you know they just renovated it. when was that in 2008 you said it was uh, about 2007 yes like in the mid nine in in the mid 90s that that young circle was nowhere near as nice but it was still a pretty cool spot especially for, for us teenagers that you know we weren't of age and we could kind of just like hang out and kind of goof around and stuff like that and they used to take like all the the different photos for um, like if you were an accomplished like if you have accomplished something they would take it in that circle with the backdrop mm -hmm. of those trees. So wow. yeah, it's really cool. So I, I'm so happy that you brought that up in Coral Gables. You know it, the um, do you know the uh, bit about the 9/11 terrorists? No, do tell. Okay, you're gonna like this. <clears throat> so, and I'm not you know saying of course i'm not going with the mainstream narrative of the 9-11 attacks but in the mainstream narrative the attackers the terrorists actually dined at young circle they ate at an oyster cart or an oyster bar inside the circle 
and then they set off for the attacks the next day. So they were actually in that circle with those sacred baobab trees in that that uh, control the fountain and the music in that circle. So who knows? <laughs> what do you think the read? Do you think that's a redirect of spiritual energy by trying to insert them into that narrative? Beats me, man. That's you're gonna have to ask God that one, because uh, I think now without getting you know without digging myself too deep a grave um there's some there's some rotten apples in the hollywood broward government there always have been um not now they're all great people now right <laughs> but um uh you know there's been some events that have happened in that county um you know that's all i'll say about that Oh, I, I know it well. It was very well known in the circles of my family. My dad mm -hmm. was a commercial contractor and my stepfather was a, a surgeon in Broward County. So I, I grew up with all the tales, all the Miami Vice mm -hmm. tales. See, it's, in, it's interesting they called it Hollywood mm -hmm. because, you know, there's really not a big, there's no explanation for that other than, yeah. Well, that beach is very significant because it mm -hmm. felt the best. I forget what the park is that's just to the north of Hollywood Beach, but it was like the last nude beach in, in Fort Lauderdale when I was a little boy. But uh, it was also the last place where they had mangroves like that mm -hmm. far south. So we would mm -hmm. take we would take these nature expeditions down there. And uh, it was really funny. They, they took us on like a <laughs> they took us on a, a little field trip there when I was like 10 years old and um, it was really funny we were sitting there and I turn around and I see this I see this nude woman and my my friend Craig he just starts screaming and going crazy and before you know it the, that nude woman had like 15 boys running after her it was mm -hmm. a pretty it was a pretty funny scene in the mid 80s so um you know with the baobab trees I guess like that is a good starting starting point for um, what you could call my worldview is, you know, a lot of old world channels show the architecture, right? And it's kind of only architecture that they, they have to show you magnificent stuff. And that's all there is to talk about. I, I like to approach things from, like you said, the linguistics, but also things like cuisine, you know, um, fashion dyes like you said the clothing clothing styles um all these threads can be pulled and you can arrive at similar you know rabbit holes you can similar truths it's all there mm -hmm. but um i think the architecture was a good starting point but i think to fill in all the cracks you have to look for all those those in between things like you know like the cuisine and for example florida there's peppers and stuff here that are People have no idea where they come from. There's a type of honey up in the panhandle, very unique and similar to a type of honey in the Old Testament, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, all these little things all over Florida. But uh, so with the trees, <clears throat> my uh, view, of, view of the whole world, why do the trees matter? Well, you see all these uh, towers going up now, right? 5G towers and such. Well, that's what's coming in. What went out 
right in with the new out with the old what had to go out was the trees mm-hmm. and the big tall giant trees is essentially a 5g tower for good right right <clears throat> pumping pumping out good vibes across the land mm-hmm. casting it across the people the cities and everyone reaps the benefits and like you know those live oaks actually keep the temperature about Lower. 15 15 degrees cooler because mm-hmm. you have the wind blowing through there and just it's you know it's divinely uh divinely created to just cool this hot place down mm-hmm. and of course they took a lot of those out um but as far as the big trees the tall ones the ancestral trees you have oaks and ashes have been worshipped by people as long as far back as you go mm-hmm. well those are both found in florida of all four major trees of of different um world faiths traditions that worship trees as like a principal deity or along with a principal deity for example buddha and the buddha and the banyan tree buddha mm-hmm. sat under a banyan tree and attained enlightenment well krishna was under a baobab tree mm-hmm. krishna was under a kalpa riksha which is the indian name for a baobab so banyan baobab oaks what else the kapok tree ah. so the kapok tree is the sacred tree to the aztec maya and uh, a couple different mesoamerican cultures and it's no coincidence that you have all of those trees are found here in florida which if you know about my channel i've been alleging to be the garden of eden right the one and only true garden of eden and uh but the trees uh something that i haven't really talked much about um on other channels tree incarnation right everyone's into the this reincarnation stuff but they're barking up the wrong tree right Mm -hmm. so (laughs) no i get it because you you showed that and ever since you showed that on your video it jogged my memory but you have these hills that could be these mounds, quote unquote, that could be pyramids, and they have a tree right in the center, mm-hmm. planted at the top. Mm-hmm. And all of us people that are into permaculture, we always know, like if you bury, you know, some sort of animal that had locomotion in it, and you bury it, and you give that to, you know, a new tree that you're putting in the ground, the vitality mm-hmm. is transferred. And it makes mm-hmm. so much sense that there is this huge amount of bioenergetic flow because when you see a tree, whatever, however high it's going is how low it's going. It's mirroring itself. Well, and, you know, sorry. Keep going. No, go for go for it. Uh, if you'd like to know what I believe in, I believe what everyone believes in because there's actually only one belief system on the planet. And most people are ignorant of this belief system. In ancient pagan times, before the, the church uh, was on this on this earth, when people passed away, they were burned, and their ash, depending on their family and gender, was either placed under an oak tree or an ash tree. Right. Mm-hmm. This is where the the origin of the ash tree, mm-hmm. and this system. When you burn a human body, you're left with 12 mineral salts found in the ash. And these 12 mineral salts with, you know, 
after all the moisture and the essence has been taken out of the body through the fire, you're left with the bare components of a human body, the bare building, building bricks, building blocks. So those 12, and these are cell salts, by the way, mineral salts, 12 mineral salts left over in human ash. That's how they were discovered was they studied human ash and found these 12 mineral salts. They of course correspond to each sign of the Zodiac, mm -hmm. but these mineral salts are known to be reabsorbed into the roots of trees when planted in, right, in the uh, mm -hmm. earth beneath them. So you're talking about a body and I agree with you, like entire body and decomposing things are good for the tree too. But in this, it would be the ash that would actually be uh, kind of soaked into the root directly. And when you die, your soul escapes, your soul, your soul. Yeah. Or in this, in some interpretations, the spirit flies out, the spirit, the soul, whatever you want to call it, immediately when you pass. But your body's still here. <clears throat> And this was the way to actually return the body to synthesize it back into nature, like very efficiently. Mm -hmm. And by putting the ash under the roots, your essence would start to be absorbed into that tree. And these were old trees. These were family trees. This is where the family concept of the family tree comes from. Mm -hmm. So when you were being absorbed into the tree, you would go into the roots, you'd go into the sap, and you would be pushed up towards the leaves. And as your essence was pushed up towards the, those leaves, as you enter those leaves, you then become the leaves. And this is the, the bee leaf system. You, uh... you now have become a leaf. And this is where it gets a little weird, but hey, we're living in weird times today. The sunlight would hit those leaves. And after some time, leaves would fall and they would be collected even and made tea out of. And these people would actually be able to make tea from their family tree. Mm -hmm. And it's not like a cannibalistic thing or any, anything yeah. like that. It was, it was a sacred act. And, and they would do this to infuse the family essence because family mattered to these people. Blood mattered, right? Yes. These things mattered immensely. So by doing so, and by, by nourishing this tree and allowing it to nourish you back, the family would be strengthened. And we, we don't even know what a strong family is today. We think five kids and, and not divorced, you know, and we think that's a strong family. We don't even know. These, mm -hmm. these were the families that were creating, uh, creating the megalithic sites and such. This is pre pre paradise time. And in this system with these trees still standing and growing about as high in the sky as you could see some of them the you would reincarnate into your family mm -hmm. so you were not arbitrarily assigned a human body because that's what a lot of people deal with when they start believing in reincarnation well what is it all random you know why are we all forgetting we're not designed to forget that's a symptom of how low we've fallen but with the tree system in place, you remember where you're from. You actually reincarnate into your own family. What's the point of being good and virtuous if you have no idea if your children 
will be good and virtuous. You can do as good as you can as a parent, but is there ever 100% assurance? Never. And let's look at the flip side. What's the point of being an evil evil uh, banker, world ruler, if there's the chance your, your children are going to be good and virtuous? There's no mm -hmm. point. You know, all the dominoes could fall over. So things don't, things aren't left to chance like that. So you'll notice certain people have giant trees on their property mm -hmm. in Florida, for example, the largest Cape Hawk in the uh, in, uh, continental United States is on Henry Flagler's property mm -hmm. where he used to live in Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, the largest banyan tree in the continental Americas in Thomas Edison's Thomas Edison and Henry Ford's estate in Fort Myers, Florida. Mm -hmm. So you start to see a cycle, a pattern and but to bring it back to the uh, that ancient tradition, cutting these trees down was a necessity in what people would today call resets, takeovers, right? Spiritual mm -hmm. wars. Those trees had to come down. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, they have cast a spell of forgetfulness on the whole planet. And, you know, there was... Is I'm not saying it was the Illuminati out there with saws hacking trees down. It was Americans hacking, you know, with ignorance, cutting trees down. I have videos of it on my channel. Right up until the 50s, they were taking trees down about, you know, dozens a day that mm -hmm. were a thousand years old or older when Jesus was born. So over 3,000, 4,000 years old mm -hmm. out in the Everglades, out around Florida. And they were taking them down like uh, blades of grass, essentially. It's uh, I love this connection. I don't know. It, my last name's Gardner, but my mm -hmm. original last name was Baumgardner, which was tree gardener in German. Mm -hmm. And so I came from a family of of both foresters and millsmen, like the German side of my family. So I have to say, the first time I saw Avatar, um, and they took down Home Tree, like I, I had an extreme visceral response. <laughs> like I felt like that was like a true, that was an actual like historical representation. And I, I've heard all the theories about Avatar and being like you know hocus pocus programming for transhumanism, but the the way my body was interpreting it, it was that that was actually a real trauma in human history. At least, at least within my family lineage. Mm -hmm. You know, that's part of our obelisks. I talk about my on my channel with uh, my friend Ben, Ben from Waking Up with Analog, mm -hmm. um, about how that's largely the origin of a lot of these obelisks and large temples and such that ideally you don't need a temple like that but right. when certain trees like massive trees have been cut down there's actually a void or a vacuum that needs to be filled spiritually and to the average person that sounds like you know ridiculous but as soon as you start reading some masonic uh, uh material you understand that this type of stuff means a heck of a lot to them but, but like the psychic the electromagnetic or um, spiritual imprint of a building 
And even if a building has been knocked down, that that building actually exists. And That's same funny. thing, same principle would apply to a tree, especially a 3000 year old tree. That yeah. is, uh, yeah, because it's also, it's, it's a dynamic system. It's a living system. So that which has life and pro it provides life would have such a, a larger bioenergetic imprint on, on the landscape. Mm -hmm. I wonder, I, mean, I wonder if it's an inversion when they're doing these massive, you know, uh, obelisks in masonry because masonry energetically is extremely different than cellulitic material, which wood is. Mm -hmm. I, I build, I'm a builder. Yeah. So I, I've, okay. I've, I've messed with geopolymers. I've, I've cast my own limestone. I've built with her. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of fun. Uh, mm -hmm. but it's, it's not necessarily the most economical way of doing things. Mm -hmm. Um, building with wood takes a lot of care. Like yeah. even at, even after you need a break. No, I was just, uh, my AC turned on, but don't worry. Even, even after you cut a tree down, anybody that's worked with timbers, you know, that it's still alive. Like what it takes to make wood right and make it so it doesn't decompose and stay beautiful. It's, it's a labor of love. Your audio. I'm muted. Sorry. But, uh, I don't know the first thing about wood admittedly. Um, mm -hmm. I know a little bit about, uh, limestone and coquina and some of the geology geology here in Florida. But, yeah, um, I've heard you talk a lot about that, and it's always it's always kind of perked me up because the whole thing with the Coquina Cowboys, I really appreciate that because my mentor in geopolymers, he essentially talked about how the the pyramids on Giza were built out of Coquina. It was a geo yeah. it was a geopolymer of Coquina, and yep. he pr he proved it in the seventies, and they never let him back into Egypt. <laughs> yeah and you know it's it's funny that ed lead scout and the guy who made the coral castle who claimed to know how the pyramids were made moved to peninsular florida mm -hmm. in order to to do what he wanted to do you know so, so let's so let's get into this because what's so fascinating is the geography that you have unmasked you're showing all these little things about the royal dyes in Florida. I, I sent you a message about the, the same type of dye is down mm -hmm. here on the coast of Costa Rica. There's a mm -hmm. very specific type of crab. And I don't mm -hmm. think that crab's around anymore. I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah. But um, the Mayans would come down and they would harvest it once a year. And it was a very specific indigo purple, like mm -hmm. the right in between indigo and purple, which is like... You know, it's it's a crazy color. Um, yeah, the Maya were also uh, harvesting uh, horseshoe crab blood, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is more blue. It looks like Mont. It looks like um, uh, what is that? Like Baja Mountain Dew, like the blue. Uh, I haven't seen that. Whatever. It's a, like a blue Mountain Dew is what it looks like. Their okay. blood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually have seen horseshoe crab blood so yes mm -hmm. i have seen that that color that is a pretty wild color 
But I love this whole thing, the Fertile Crescent being the Gulf of Mexico. Could you dive yeah. into? <clears throat> I mean, it's obvious. Once I uh, once I figured it out, it's you can't unsee it. It's a it's a perfect crescent, crescent moon, sickle, whatever whatever you want to call it, a courgette. You know, a lot of times they'll say that's not an Arab crescent in Confederate insignia. That's a gorget. And a gorget is a crescent shaped uh, piece of armor. It's like uh, decorative armor that serves like no real purpose. That kind of uh, 17 or 18th century um, European officers would wear. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, the Native Americans of the early 1800s started wearing them for, you know, it makes no sense. And they're also wearing medallions with like Queen Elizabeth on them. It's, it's just bizarre. And uh, I forgot what I was talking about. Well, here we're talking about the Fertile Crescent and the Gorgette. Yes. Okay. So they'll talk about the Gorgette, but then they think that they're disproving all for all um, Arabic insignia in the Southeast United States by saying, no, that's just a gorget being depicted on state flags. Well, what they don't realize is that the gorget and the Crescent of Islam are both depicting the same geograph- geographic feature, which is the Gulf of Mexico between Peninsular Florida and the Yucatan Peninsula, <clears throat> which makes the most perfect crescent-shaped landmass in the world. And if you want to compare it to a a uh, crescent moon, you actually get your perfect face in the moon, which is New, uh, New Orleans sticking out into New Orleans sticking out into the Gulf of Mexico is the the nose of the the crescent moon face. But besides that jutting out, it's a perfect crescent moon. This is, you know, a, another dead giveaway is the fact that Noah's Ark was said to have circled the Kaaba three times before landing in Mount Ararat. Now, when you know, like the topography of uh, the Middle East and Mesopotamia, for for a boat to have left Iraq, travel south to Saudi Arabia, and then circle a a um, a cube that would have been hundreds of feet underwater, no. and then go north past Iraq where it started, north up to the mountains that were actually already the closest high ground in the area, and they could have approached much sooner, but we're told Noah was on the ark for 150 days. So that's very unlikely. And it, it almost demands that you interpret the story allegorically, right? Right. And I'm also not refuting any allegorical interpretations. I myself am a, am a believer of many interpretations of the Noah story, but a, a allegorical or transcendental interpretation does not negate a literal interpretation. So it's very foolish for people to discredit all literal interpretations of the bible but blah 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 so with the um circling the kaaba noah's ark circling the kaaba three times it makes zero sense with a ark departing iraq and landing in turkey however 
if an arc were departing northwest Florida, which is where the Mormons believe that the arc and many other arcs to have, to have departed, where E.E. E. Calloway, the 1936 Republican candidate for governor in Florida, I'll say that again, 1936 Republican candidate for governor in Florida, who publicly asserted that Florida was the true Garden of Eden. And he pointed out all of the physical landmarks in the Bible that verify this. He pointed out the uh, the um, the climate, of course, but also the vegetation, the tree life, the plant life. Mm -hmm. He found petrified wood that had been sawed clean. Petrified logs sawed clean. That's near impossible. Exactly. So, and many, many things. But E.E. E. Calloway was initiated into the order of Melchizedek by a mystic in central Florida by the name of Brown Landone. And from there, he went on this quest and uncovered all this stuff in northwest Florida. But back to the Ark, this guy was talking about the Ark. He found the wood that the Ark was made of, gopher wood. Mm -hmm. So if you know the Old Testament, Gopher wood is what the ark was created out of. It's a word that is never used in Hebrew outside of the Old Testament and is never used in the Old Testament outside of the Noah's Ark story. So gopher wood is only found in one place in the world. It's endemic to northwest Florida along the Apalachicola River. The Apalachicola is the apple of Eden. This is where you get your apple imagery. And an apple, you know, what came first, the apple or the apple, it doesn't matter. But you have the wood right there. If you followed my channel, you have the anchors. You can see we found many giant ancient stone anchors in the Tampa Bay area. So, boom, you have ancient stone anchors. You have your wood of the ark. And the two people who came up with those theories knew nothing of each other. Then you have two separate colonies of uh, about 1,500 Greeks moving to either coast of Florida, right? Before most Americans were in Florida, there was Greeks. So we're not told that in school, but blah, blah, blah. Back to the Kava. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, bring this all home, I promise. The, with Noah's Ark departing the Gulf of Mexico area, it would make perfect sense that a boat squeezing out of the Gulf of Mexico past either the Straits of Florida or the Straits of the Yucatan would in fact circle Cuba three times. Now that's very now is Cuba the Kaaba? Is that what you're trying asserting? Cuba is the Kaaba because you'll see Kaaba is spelled with a K, two A's, and an A. Cuba is spelled with a C. U-B-A. Mm -hmm. It used to be spelt K-U-U-B-A in some instances. So Cuba. But let's think about what the Kaaba is. The Kaaba is a cube, is it not? Kaaba and a, is a cube. I the Kaaba, always, the I, Kaaba I, is a thing out, is the thing in um, Saudi Arabia, mm -hmm. um, Mecca, that they worship mm -hmm. and do the circles around. I understand a, that. The black cube so the kaaba is a cube what happens when you mix the two words kaaba and cube kaaba 
<laughs> you get you get Cuba. Yeah. So Cuba, and what is the Kaaba? The Kaaba is a piece of um, meteorite. So, but where is that meteorite from? They don't really tell you. They actually, some people say that it landed right there. Some people say it was brought in. They don't really know. Well, I have a theory. It was from the Chicxulub crater in the Gulf of Mexico, which they think might be the one that killed the fake dinosaurs, right? Mm -hmm. So that came down in the Gulf of Mexico. Inside the cube, from Cuba, there is a piece of that asteroid. And that impact zone must have changed the, the entire face of the planet, if it's actually an impact zone. But regardless, for Noah's Ark to circle Cuba makes complete sense because even with an increase in in uh, sea level, the mountains, the peaks of Cuba would have been sticking out of the ground, and that area is tough to navigate. So they probably were in ball around Cuba for mm -hmm. a little bit until they got spit out into the Atlantic. In after which time it would completely make sense that they would drift either through the the Straits of Gibraltar, or if the seas were still high enough straight over the African continent into Armenia or Turkey, where they landed in the mountains of Ararat. Mm -hmm. And from, from there, they would go on to name the, the rivers and places they found after the rivers and places they had departed. And that's why you get your Iraq and Uruk and land of Ur and Ur and ancient Babylon, Sumeria, well, this is actually Iroquois. Is it any coincidence that we call Iroquois and Native Americans First Nations people? So Iroquois, etymologically and Kabbalistically, because after all, etym etymology and phonetics is Kabbalah, just using the English, English language, is the same. Iroquois, Iraq, right? The Creeks are the Greeks. Creek natives are the Greeks. You can prove that linguistically. You can prove that by the way they dress. You can prove that, you know, by a dozen different angles. But yeah, how's that sounding so far? It sounds awesome. I want to get to the Cuba thing because we're talking about the crescent. Yeah. And then you have the star in that crescent. Yep, and that's Cuba. And that's Cuba. Yeah. So... As I understand Ka, the Ka from the Egyptian, per, the quote unquote Egyptian perspective, we were originally talking about the 12 cell salts mm -hmm. of the human once it's been, you know, burnt into ash. And by the mm -hmm. way, I'm a connoisseur of ash because when you build with natural products, you mm -hmm. have to have fly ash. You have to have very specific type of ash to mix with your clays to make sure that your clays can solidify. Mm -hmm. so like lime. Yes. <laughs> well, mm -hmm. lime is a is more of a calcium carbonate. That's a different that's a different product. But it, it, most ash at, at its core is about fifty percent by weight calcium. Anyway, so as I understood it, the ka, like our physical body, even though the soul leaves our body, the ka, which is like the I guess you would call it the physical memory, is stored within. The, <laughs> the the vessel the vessel of the body mm -hmm. so you talking about that ash being absorbed by let's call it the home tree your family mm -hmm. tree then that trans through the through the um 
absorption process and then transpiration, your, your ka is now being lifted into these leaves. And then these leaves end up becoming a tincture or a tea for your family to actually keep the loop current going for the memory. I, I love this whole thing, but as I understood it, ka is physical memory. So for Cuba to be the cod, is there any reason like why out of all the countries in, in the Western world, would you have Cuba just be absolutely decimated with sanctions, like not mm -hmm. allowed to have any way? Yes. And why was Russia sticking their neck out for them the whole time? Exactly. So this well, is a when you understand Seminole history and Creek and Muskegee history. Because uh -huh. the creek, the creeks of Florida go by the name Muscogee. Okay. Rush, Russia, and now takes its name the Muscovies, Muscovites. Mm. So Muscovie in in Saint Petersburg, Russia, and then Muscogees in Saint Petersburg, Florida. Okay. That is no that is no coincidence. And no. Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, Florida, Saint Petersburg was the point of embarkation for the Spanish American War. Mm -hmm. take largely taking cuba yeah. yeah yeah they had the that was the very first uh false flag i learned about in college was it the yeah, spanish american war the spanish american war the, you know, what was it they sunk the ship in the harbor or they, something like they that they exploded 300 barrels of tnt on on they had a a goodwill mission of three two frigates and one uh one warship into the bay of havana and the mm -hmm. one just happened to explode from terrorists. <laughs> and this was the kicker. This is what like made me go apeshit in college was the entire half of the entire Pacific fleet for the US was already circling the Philippines within 24 hours. Yeah. And this was in a time where boats to go, you know, thousands of miles took a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So it was, oh, yeah. it was obviously pre-planned. They wanted the rubber from the Philippines. Mm -hmm. So they had to incite war with the Spanish. Um, yeah, and there was a Moorish presence out there too. In the Philippines. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't. I didn't. Please you can elaborate. Even, you can even search. Uh, it's not my. Ex, it's not my like my uh, expertise or my my uh, territory. But you can even search pictures of yeah uh, Malaysian moors yes and japanese moors fighting in the japanese army uh, around the time war world war ii came around and uh yeah there was a moorish presence out there and allegedly they were chased at that way may have been present there already who knows like i said you know i kind of keep my nose down in florida when it comes to the uh the native history and stuff like that but. Well, let's get back to Cuba then, because Cuba, Cuba is sure. huge because, you know, I grew yeah. up, you know, doing deep sea fishing. So, you know, do you know, do you know why Cuba, I, sorry, sorry for cutting you off, but do you know why Cuba is the Q? No. Cuba is the uh, Q. It's named perfectly. It's divinely named. And when you spell Kabbalah, you can spell it with what? A K, a C, or a, a Q, right? Right. Kabbalah. And that, that's kind of the name of Kabbalah itself kind of epitomizes the art form because le letters are interchangeable, but phonetic sounds are not. Phonetic sounds are actually kind of the most concrete value that they're we the have. They're, they're mm -hmm. the compass of the system. That makes sense. Yeah. 
so you can interchange C, K, and Q. Well, I'll show you why Cuba bears the name Q. That Gulf of Mexico, that perfect crescent that we're talking about, and then the star coming into the crescent like this. When the star is coming into the crescent, it's actually forming a Q of which uh, Cuba is almost like the sperm fertilizing that egg, that big, and it, it, this is no coincidence. It's not like it's just shaped like a fertile egg. No, this is the most fertile place on the planet. Okay, you can grow anything in Florida. You can grow anything in the Gulf Coast of Mexico. You know, Costa Rica, mm -hmm. um, the Caribbean too. When when Columbus went through the Caribbean on his second and third voyages, he said, "This is Eden. This is paradise. I, I know it for sure." And um, blah blah blah. When we're saying this is a fertile zone, I mean it. Like this is, it's not just the vegetation and the good climate. It's the Gulf Stream. And the Gulf Stream is everything. The Gulf Stream in times of great cataclysm and freezing and flooding, it's the Gulf Stream that would, would uh, essentially... Oh choose what places would survive these catastrophes and resets you know natural resets a freezing a flooding and after a worldwide devastation it would be the area closest to the gulf stream that would bounce back to 100 percent. so a lot of people will try and dispel the garden of eden theories and say oh you don't know what what anything was like before the flood and i agree with that except for the Gulf Stream, because if there's one place in the world that would revert perfectly back to where it started after a flood or a freezing, it would be the Gulf Stream, because we know the first areas to thaw out after ice ages is the Gulf Stream. Mm -hmm. And the Gulf Stream and where it chooses to send its water north, like Iceland, I have an article that shows if the Gulf Stream were to divert just a tad a bit away from Iceland, Iceland would turn into a cute, an ice cube in a matter of years, a solid block of ice, mm -hmm. because the Gulf Stream is what gives it all of its thermal, um, thermal nuance. Same with Finland, the entire Baltic uh, Sea and the Gulf of Finland, that entire area would be frozen through much of the year if it were not for the gulf stream it's, Same. A, it's amazing because for those of you out there that don't know the gulf of mexico is the warmest body of water per volume so mm. there's other bodies of water in the world that are are warm i think the dead sea gets gets yeah. pretty hot uncomfortably hot uncomfortably hot it should be noted yes but the mm. gulf of mexico has it, it's so it, it's there's nothing even comparable to it anywhere in the world that's a salinate uh, salt water body that's that warm mm -hmm. and that large yep and it's not all that deep and it's an amazing thing the stratification mm -hmm. of temperature within the gulf of mexico uh, scientists have always been trying to figure it out because there's there's very delineated lines of temperature differential that they can't explain mm -hmm. within within the gulf of mexico 
Yeah. I, I really wonder what happened in 2011 with the Deepwater Horizon. I'm wondering what they were doing with all that. Uh, what was that? What were they spraying in the Gulf? I don't know. They were spraying a chemical that would cause the oil to drop. I'm forgetting the name of it. it so oh, shit. normally the oil would stay on the surface and then the winds would push it to the coasts. Yeah. But they used this chemical that essentially dropped it to the first thermal stratification layer, mm-hmm. which was like a hundred feet below below. So you couldn't see it, but it was all there. So it ended up destroying tons and tons of wildlife. Yeah. Um, Terrible. But I really wonder, because that year they, they had two onslaughts on our consciousness. One was the Fukushima, and then the other one was the Gulf of Mexico. So it was like they're trying to like poison, you know, because when you look how the water flows off of, off of Japan up towards Alaska, mm-hmm. it has that whole warming effect on the Pacific side of things. And then they are doing the same thing. They're sort of poisoning, poisoning the well in the Gulf mm-hmm. of Mexico. Yeah, you also had the BP oil spill and K- Katrina. Right. You know, you, you had uh, a lot of stuff. Katrina was wild. Did you did, did you ever follow the the origin and how it moved through the Gulf of Mexico? No, I, I think I was like probably like nine years old when Katrina came through. So. so when I was growing up, my dad and I, we'd always just chart them coming off of Africa, you know, and they were very consistent. Mm-hmm. They always had this nice parabolic curve and you could, you kind of knew within, you know, 10 degrees where they were going. So Katrina started in the Caribbean right off of Costa Rica, went mm-hmm. up over Guatemala, sat on top of Honduras for three days, killed wow killed 50,000 people. I forget whether it was Guatemala or Honduras created all these mudslides. Then it took a beeline towards Florida. It went over Florida, I think a little bit north of Fort Myers, cut across, went through Palm Beach, went over my house in Palm Beach, then went out to the Bermuda Triangle, did a 180 degree turn in the Bermuda Triangle, came back, went through South Broward, mm-hmm. went through Fort Lauderdale, went through Fort Myers on the other side, or excuse me, lower, uh, they went, it went through, um, it's now Marco Island, that one Island you bring up mm-hmm. goes through Marco Island is going due West and then makes a 90 degree turn and accelerates once it hits the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. So show me what weather front could cause that type of movement. Yeah. It's like a game of pinball. There. Yeah. Yeah, they gave it some extra juice before it hit New Orleans too. And what I love about your your you talking about these massive trees, you bring up in a lot of your videos, these would have been a wonderful windbreak. So oh, bef- yeah. before all this fuckery with the weather, if you had these massive, you know, trees like home tree and avatar, you know, or like they show what is it called? The in Idaho, the Devil's Peak, Nevada. Devil's Tower. Devil's yeah, Tower. Like yeah. I mean, that, that tree's a mile high, you know, mm-hmm. if you had your whole windbreak on both coasts of these massive trees, yep. you would have this very, you would have this garden in the middle. It'd be completely mm-hmm. protected. You know, that's, that's, you're right. You're exactly right. And that's overwhelming evidence for Plato's Atlantis. Exactly. Because Atlantis and Eden are the same myth and most people don't realize that 
Um, Could you break are, that down? Break sure. that down. So not only most people can wrap their head around the New Testament, largely being inspired by Greek texts, uh, like Greek philosophers, you know, a lot of the New Testament is Plato, you know, just being uh, boiled down, kind of, um, what's the word, distilled into this Jesus story. And so I, I'm a lover, of, I'm a big lover of the Bible, but the Old Testament also owes much to the Greek. We're kind of given the narrative that that Hebrew, you know, the Jews took took these stories from the desert and that's not necessarily true the myth and the linguistics show this to just be nonsense the old testament also comes from from greek myth and this can be shown how in paradise the word paradise and the garden in paradise is directly taken from the greek myth of the garden of hesperides mm. so the garden of the hesperides who were also nicknamed the atlantides by the way the, wow so the garden of the hesperides is where we get the word paradise so hesperides named for hesperus atlas and hesperus Atlas is Adam, number one. At, ad, Atlas, Adam. Dif same prefix, different suffixes, right? Mm -hmm. So then you have the, the Hesperides are three women, three daughters. And the daughters are nicknamed the daughters of the evening or the sisters of the evening. Mm -hmm. So that's your Eve right there you have atlas and the three hesperides who are the three atlantides because the central figure of that myth is atlas atlas and his three daughters of the evening in the garden of hesperides is adam eve and the garden of paradise and both of these myths feature feature a snake in the tree and if you saw a picture of it, you don't need any convincing but um, in ancient depictions of the Garden of Hesperides, there's a tree, there's a snake in the tree surrounded by three women, not just one. So that's really the only difference. And then Atlas is nearby. Mm -hmm. And this is the Greek myth. And like I said, the Hesperides are also referred to as the Atlantides. Plato said that Atlantis or maybe it was Herodotus, sorry, it might have been Herodotus, said that Atlantis and the Garden of Hesperides were within walking distance of each other. I didn't know that. Yes, so Eden and Atlantis in walking distance of each other. Now, another dead giveaway is the fact that Atlantis was traced by a, a canal, mm -hmm. by a, a canal, and Florida, the entire peninsula, peninsula of Florida, and much of the Southeast United States, even up to like New York, partially is protected by a barrier, a strip of barrier islands. Now in Florida, it's where these barrier islands is are most consistent and have the least uh, breaks in them. It's called the intercoastal. Intercoastal, yeah. And, and my and you know I have my 
mother's side of the family was military and they came down to Florida in the fifties. And mm -hmm. I grew up hearing that the, these waterways were dug by the, the, uh, army, army Corps, Corps. Corps of yeah. engineers. And it, it couldn't be further from the truth. They were dredged by the dredged. army Corps of engineer. That's, that's a, true. That's a huge difference. Now, when they came here, the entire intercoastal waterway was existent. Mm -hmm. However, it was fresh water at the time. It was more fresh than brackish. Right. Today, it's brackish because there's they, they cut inlets into the intracoastal. And by the way, into the barrier island, they cut. By the way, those cuts that they made, that's the mm -hmm. biggest scam to sell global warming. So growing up and fishing all these waterways and stuff like that, when I saw Al Gore's, um, you know, inconvenient truth in the early mm -hmm. 2000s, they kept talking about the oceans rising, the oceans rising, the oceans rising. Mm -hmm. And what they would do is they would show these shots of, of beach erosion. But the one thing that they wouldn't show you is the beach erosion was always down from where they punctured the intercoastal waterway. So mm -hmm. where you normally had that fresh sweet water like you were talking about, and then it had a, 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 a very, very long run of, of, of land mass, and then mm -hmm. you had the salt water on the other side, when you start to make that permeable all the way up the coast, of course it's going to degrade the beaches. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. now you have the temperature differential between both sides causes a flow, which causes the erosion. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. Not to mention they take pictures of high tide and compare them to low tide. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it's it's amazing how how liberals will not recognize a difference between high tide and low tide in some mm -hmm. instances. You know, there's uh, Vizcaya out in Miami. Yes. They have this with the uh, limestone boat out in the back. That's like a fake flo floating um, structure. And it's a limestone boat. They have a picture of that boat in the 1920s. And they have a watermark, water marker, right? Well, in, and I'm, I'm saying this is good. This, this like completely puts uh, low, uh, environmentalists in their place. The bad environmentalists, the uh, climate change people. The victims. Yeah. So this this boat has the same water line on it from a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. Not even an inch lower. Yeah. And that that's at the southern tip of Florida, which we're told is the most at risk of sea level rise. And as far as far yeah, last time I checked, the coastline is only going up in value, not down, despite the impending doom. Right. Right. The un the underwriters wouldn't underwrite it if it was going to go away. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. No, I because I, I was caught up in that whole mythology from like all the environmentalism for a very long time. But I knew when they started showing the 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 puncture holes within the intercoastal. Mm -hmm. My family had uh, uh, had a beach home up near Vero Beach, and it was very apparent that when they created a new inlet up near Vero Beach, it 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 that's what destroyed the beach. Mm -hmm. That was it. 
So that mm-hmm. was like a just a common sense thing from that point on. Yeah, and it's going to start crumbling a lot of the limestone underneath people's houses because now you have uh, salt water running through a lot of what used to be fresh groundwater underneath a lot of that land right. along the coast. But yeah, yeah, you're right. And intercoastal is a dead giveaway that peninsular florida is at least part of plato's atlantis and in addition to that the gulf of mexico atlantis was said to have an inland sea a crystal sea and in this crystal sea boats could sail without fear of wreckage and it was so calm that you could walk out hundreds of yards into the sea that's the Gulf of Mexico. And Florida, like you were saying with the break wind, the trees that would have stopped these hurricanes dead in their tracks, um, Florida itself is a break water. So mm-hmm. the entire Florida Peninsula and the Yucatan Peninsula are perfectly, divinely located breakwaters. Mm-hmm. And this is this. not Tampa Bay, we're going to get to Tampa Bay, but the Gulf of Mexico is the largest, most hospitable bay in the world. Now, within that bay, Gulf, right? Gulf is just a big bay. Within that bay, you have another bay, which is even more hospitable and agreeable and calm. And that is Tampa Bay. Mm -hmm. And Tampa Bay, which I did not grow up grow up in and I don't spend a lot of time in and I never particularly liked Tampa Bay is in fact the capital seaport of Atlantis or the iteration of Atlantis that most of us are familiar with being after this uh, the ice age where civilization kind of picked up again and Atlantis itself actually means all the land ice all the land is ice, Atlantis. And paradise means before the ice. So para da is, paradis means before the ice. This is also where we get the words like ice. Say that again, you cut out. We also get words like isolation. Okay. To yes. be isolated because before before um well that's that's another that's another story but i want to get to the before because this is you're you're building this wonderful you know in a very specific way a chronology we're going back to to essentially the time of moses we're going back we're the the hypothesis here is that north america continent was the old world the the Mm -hmm the book of remembrance the old testament world where the origin of of this particular epoch that we're in mm-hmm. this is this is the land and uh, are you familiar with slick dissident Gabriel? i am a little a little bit i'm not um not like i haven't met him directly but we've we've um we're in the yeah. same cir- circles, yeah. Yeah, through Juan and Juan, like mm-hmm. Slick Dissident and Juan. 
So he's done his tarot Tories, and I know you're mm -hmm. astrologer in the tarot. And the way the way he's wove this whole thing along the Mississippi, and when you see the Mississippi with his tarot Tories, mm -hmm. it all fits this story because he's linked the 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 Greek mythos of Typhon to the North American continent. Mm -hmm. And when when the story of Typhon, where Typhon chases Zeus and the other demigods off of out of there. That's that's allegorical, or, or it could be. Who knows if it's not allegorical? But let's just say, for sake, that it is allegorical. That essentially that was the shift from the old world to the new world, mm -hmm. from the North American continent to the European sub-Saharan area. Yeah, you know, we kind of get everything after Noah's Ark, kind of pretty on the money in ter in terms of the mainstream biblical narrative um, and the Greek mythology. But before before the flood, we're really grasping at straws without without understanding, like you're saying, how North America fits into all this, because this is not just out of left field stuff. In fact, we as modern Americans are kind of operating at a deficit, whereas this was like uh, this was common information back before 1929, back before the Civil War, back before 1812. This was like established fact that the Southeast United States and the Gulf of Mexico was paradise. They were printing that in Florida newspapers like fucking crazy, saying this is paradise. This is the garden. And it wasn't just to sell land, you know, trust me. They were practically giving a land away for free, you know. Mm -hmm. um, they wanted people to uh, whatever, but with all the, the things going on in Florida, they stomped this all out. Whereas it used to be kind of just common sense and E.E. E. Calloway, man, that's such a great story. I'm going to be doing another thing on him. Um, he ran for governor of Florida. So he was, and he almost made it, you know, it, I think he lost by a pretty large margin, but still, you know, it's, it's not like he was just a nobody. So he was actually a, he would talk to multiple U.S. presidents on a pretty regular occurrence. He was in with a lot of the, uh, what would you call them, uh, all the best people, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And for him to be, you know, fielding these theories is, is just pretty remarkable. And then you have guys like Hilton Hotima, who ironically served in the Spanish-American War out, out in the Philippines. Um, he was studying long life, and he's an expert of longevity. Mm -hmm. And he, stu he studied cent centenarians around the world and different diets and climates. And he came to, after decades of research, came to the realization that Florida is the most life-sustaining place in the world. So he lauded the benefits of tropical zones and altitude. You know, he said, yes, altitude's good for this and that. But he said, all things being, being equal, Florida is the most hospitable place in the world to the human body you have the water you have the fruit and the produce you have the perfect temperature the seawater 
So, you know, for, for people to live, you know, half planet lives in places where they are dependent on water from elsewhere. That is such a, a scary state of existence, isn't it? It is. To have your water being piped in from somewhere else, probably paying, you know, cents on the gallon for what it costs to someone else. And, you know, Florida provides enough produce to feed dozens of countries. 50, I've heard people say, 50 countries Florida could provide for every year if it really wanted to. And it does. If you just look at the economics, the uh, agricultural uh, feats that Florida is accomplishing, compared to California, which does, which does outperform Florida in many ways, albeit with millions and millions of gallons of, of um, shipped in water. Called? Water, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Florida is rivaling California with essentially what falls down from God. Now they do, they do irrigate even oranges, which don't even need that much irrigation down here. But in a perfect world, if people knew what they were doing, like you, you would not need to irrigate Florida. There's so much water coming down. Drought is, there's no such thing as drought here. You know, even if there is a drought of rain, you have such abundant spring water, such, it's hilarious. And, you know, I go up to the Appalachian Mountains and we'll fill up these buckets. We'll fill up our uh, 14 gallon uh, seven gallon tanks. I have two of them. We'll fill them up with mountain water out in, in the mountains when we're traveling in my van. Mm-hmm. You know how slow that water comes out of that pipe? Super you know, slow. We're there for at least a half hour on a yeah. good day if it's if it's coming out really fast. And and that's just like a, a faucet coming out. In Florida, if I wanted to, I could take those jugs and submerge them and pull them up full in a second in a second Mm -hmm. so you can't even compare it to other places in the in the world florida alone having over a thousand notable spring heads that's more than the next country compared to america yeah the problem in florida is too much water it's like costa rica i -hmm. i've lived in all these places in the world where the problem isn't isn't being yeah. dry it's being too wet i've, I've lived in florida yeah. i've lived in michigan which is another peninsula that like they just have water popping out everywhere and mm-hmm. down here in costa rica there's so much water and then i actually just moved to i just bought a farm in missouri that's next to blue spring that you were talking about oh or i think it's big spring is the one i, I moved to. next to blue spring i'm i'm okay. four i'm four miles from blue spring the spring that you're talking about is about 100 miles north of me. But Near the we, Ozarks. Yeah. Big spring. Well, I'm in the Ozarks too. I'm more in like the real Ozarks up there okay. where that is, up near Columbia. That's technically not the Ozarks anymore. Okay. So maybe I was, I'll, I'll see where, that, where I was. Yeah. Blue Spring is massive. It's, it, it comes out of a cave into this river system and it's, it's, right near i forget which county it is it's, it could be shannon county in yes uh, yeah we weren't there we were at big spring 
I see Blue Spring. We weren't at that one. We yeah. were at Bit Big Spring. Yeah. So I'm I'm a water connoisseur. I'm always trying to find the the biggest best yeah. water. I was kind of disappointed though, growing up in South Florida, because they chlorinated and fluoridated everything so much, and they were pumping sewage into the into the aquifer to keep the water pressure up. You know, it's funny. I was talking to the cave diver who knows firsthand better than anybody how much damage is being done to our aquifer. Mm -hmm. You want to know what he does when he goes down there? Drinks a lot. We have nothing to be afraid of. We couldn't damage Mother Earth if we tried. Not in Florida, not the water, not even close. You couldn't throw a million gallons of, of gasoline into those into the, the aquifer every day, and mm -hmm. you could still pull out drinkable water. So with our testing today, how sensitive all the testing and the, the threshold for what constitutes drinkable is is not remotely what a human being should actually be concerned with because these are the same people who tell you it's okay to have uh you know milligrams of fluoride in your system right so i wouldn't be worried about pollution i certainly wouldn't be worried about pollution but if you're going there you know uh brett the guy that i had on the cave diver he goes down about 200 300 feet down and he says he'll take off his rebreather and just gulp, gulp, and just eat, just eat the water straight yeah. out of, and then put his rebreather back in. And that's, he says, that's not even as clean as you want. He says the the closest to the surface, the better. He says right where spring water breaks the surface is the cleanest you'll ever find it. So, you know, even no, even with, and he knows. I don't know how much sewage they're putting down there and I'll still drink it. He knows how much sewage they're putting down there and he drinks it like crazy. So I think well, that's, that, that's, he was, a that whole system was North of Lake Okeechobee. I grew up in, you're Broward, right. You're right. I, I, I grew up in Broward County. You're right. Now admit, admittedly South of Lake Okeechobee, the aquifer system becomes a lot less, not interesting, but, no, it, it just doesn't come to the surface in as many areas. You don't see like the uh, the caves breaching with like, mm -hmm. um, who knows what it originally looked like, but the elevation is like nothing uh, down south of Lake Okeechobee, especially on the East Coast. Um, but north of Okeechobee, in and around Orlando is where the springs start mm -hmm. picking up. And yeah. I mean, those are like, when you see water coming out like like that glowing turquoise, it's mm -hmm. glowing. And you ask yourself, am I hallucinating? Like, you know, is there, when you see pictures of Florida spring water, everyone says the same thing. Please stop showing altered photographs. Please stop, you know, why are you showing altered photographs? It's not altered. Mm -hmm. It's the quality of Florida spring water that makes it different from it just about anywhere else in the world is it has trace amounts of lime trace amounts of um uh what's the quartz quartz crystal mm -hmm. and that can best be uh best be uh 
displayed at Siesta Key. Mm -hmm. In Siesta Key Beach, you have a completely mysterious, unexplained phenomenon where they have quartz sand, 99% quartz crystal sand depositing in Siesta Key Beach, which was, I guess, coincidentally voted America's number one beach time and time again. So America's number one beach, Siesta Key, is 99% quartz crystal. And someone might say, well, what does that mean? Like quartz sand. When you go to a regular California, South Africa, East Coast of Florida, it doesn't matter. And you go to that beach, whether it's white, black, well, not black, there's volcanic beaches and this and that. But when you go to other beaches, you will see shell sand and crushed up coral or even crushed up rock, crushed up volcanic rock maybe, but it's not quartz. You don't find quartz beach sands like this in many places in the world. It happens, but not like this, not in this one unique place where all the sand around it and the other areas is normal shell sand. But for this one, one little pocket just south of Tampa Bay, Siesta Key, you have a extremely high concentration of quartz crystal. Now they think they know where it's from. They've done their uh, testing and dating and they think that it's from the Appalachian Mountains, at mm. least at least four million years old. This mysterious deposit of quartz sand. So check yeah. it out. I have a property on the Sewanee River. Nice. The Sewanee River actually originates in the southern Appalachian Mountains. Okay. It, so when the so when our when our property in Florida floods, it's because of rain in Georgia, <laughs> in the middle of Georgia. Wow. So all of that water, because you you had the Chattahoochee River system that they dammed up to just above Atlanta to make, I forget what the name of that whole complex of neighborhoods is, but they dammed up the Chattahoochee. But at one time the Chattahoochee came down, and then it that was from the upper not upper Appalachian, but from up in South Carolina, the the Appalachians in South Carolina. And then that connected to the river system of the Sewanee. And where does Sewanee run? It runs straight down through the middle. Like, you know, if you're looking at Florida and it's like, you know, like this, it runs just like this through the panhandle into the Gulf. That makes perfect sense to me that that would deposit that quartz down there in mm -hmm. Tampa. Or it's the quartz of Atlantis that... Plato may have been describing. Plato attributes I, I, a sinking of Atlantis to quartz and human tampering with quartz crystal. With, with time. Yeah, mm -hmm. with the whole thing messing with the piezoelectric nature of time. If you've ever been to St. Petersburg, Florida, that area in that little peninsula, Pinellas County, Florida, produces some of the most metaphysical, spiritual, far out, heady, you know, and I'm not saying they're all good or inter interesting, a lot of BS artists too, but just psychedelic bohemian people come out of St. Petersburg, Florida and move and move to St. Petersburg, Florida. It's and true. that, that area between St. Pete beach and 
Siesta Key Beach, see some of the largest um, bonfires in America mm-hmm. and like full moon fires and drum drum circles is the word I'm looking for. It's drum very circles. bohemian, almost. Yeah. The, the whole, I, I used to build for the, the uh, I guess you would call it uh, EDM festival scene. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the different guys that I'd build for, they would tell me about these huge festivals that they were having in Florida, like in Lake City, Florida, and mm-hmm. into the Gulf of Mexico and stuff like that. So it's an, it's a very bohemian area. Oh, I got another good one for you. So that exact area, Siesta Key is just south of Tampa Bay. When you go, when you start going north, you have Siesta Key, Bradenton. St. Petersburg, Clearwater, and then I think Indian Rocks Beach. Indian Rocks Beach is the Stone Anchors. That's what they used to call them, Indian Rocks. Oh, look at all these Indian Rocks by the beach, right? Mm -hmm. These are the ancient Stone Anchors of Atlantis. How funny. And Clearwater is, they also have a crystal beach in that area. So Crystal Beach, the Crystal Sea of Atlantis, and Clearwater. So Clearwater, Florida, if you know anything about Clearwater, is where uh, Scientology has its headquarters. Right. Tom, Tom Cruise lives and his son, and they, they have actually purchased a majority of the downtown Clearwater area. So mm-hmm. Clearwater, Florida is like an entire Scientologist cult city. It's crazy. So this, and- this is great because I, I i need to follow this thread can i add can i add one more thing to this yes that same area not only do the scientologists vacation at that's like their vacation spot the amish and yes. men and mennonites okay for, for some reason descend on mass to clearwater florida siesta key and that whole pinellas county um pinellas peninsula siesta key beach for some reason you see the most amish and it's weird but yeah what were you gonna say so let's get to it we have you have the scientologists and you Mm -hmm. have the mormon faith yes i've never gone deep into to to them individually Mm -hmm. but i know people that have paid tens of thousands of dollars within Scientology to be audited. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't, I'm a massage therapist. And so I've, okay. I, I've cool. been massaging people for quite a long time professionally. And what ends up happening is you end up building a trust, you know, with people that you work with for a long time. So one of my clients, he was in the, the, the Church of Scientology for many, 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 many years. And for lack of a better word, he was possessed. And he kept paying all this money to be audited. Like they do mm-hmm. this auditing process. Yeah. And to me, it was just a big shakedown. They were just shaking them down. Mm-hmm. But he, he revealed to me some of the, to the higher tenets of Scientology, like what they believe. And it was very odd to hear it because it's, it sounds like straight up science fiction. And when, when I read, like when I was a little kid, a, a book that was really popular was the book Dianetics, 
you know, it was L. Ron Hubbard's, you know, big, big claim to fame that got everybody moving in that direction that was into that stuff. But um, so it's, it's a very off world at the top, like the people that kind of run everything. It's a very alien centric, uh, let's just call it cosmology. So I've also had Mormon friends of mine that their cosmology at the top of that pyramid is very alien centric too. And Somewhat, yeah. Oh yeah. And so it's it's I mean to to some extent, you know, if you look at Christian cosmology and you say, Oh, well, you know, the sons of God came and mated with the hot earth girls, you know, that's an alien mm -hmm. cosmology. But I'm just looking at this because both, well, I don't know what the origin story of Scientology is, but I know the Mormons, their, their belief pattern is that North America, the North American continent was the home of how many lost tribes did they say? I mean, I don't know the story that well, but at least three. You have Nephites, Jaredites, um, and I'm not, this might not be the homeland, but present in the Americas well before Columbus, thousands of years ago. Jaredites, Nephites. So this is like the, where you get your word Nephilim. Uh -huh. It's not the way we've been told it. It's the Nephites, Nephites, uh -huh. um, who were in, in Southeast United States, who over time would, we would come to know as the giant native tribes that inhabited Florida when the Europeans arrived. So you had Nephites, and those are your Nephilim. You have Og. Og came to, um, Og is another character in the Mormon stories who came to the Americas. Well, that story actually mirrors the, the story of Prince Matok. So Prince Matok has Og at the end of his name, Mad Tog, mm. Mad Dog. Mad Dog. Is also Og. Mm -hmm. So Og in the Mormon tradition came to floor came to the Americas or left the Americas. I, I don't don't remember. Um but Maddock is essentially a Welsh Viking who seeded much of Native American refined native american culture the higher culture that was to be found in some of these people when the europeans arrived they found some of them occupying castles mm -hmm. and using more advanced weaponry and using more advanced uh, braiding and textile techniques and they they theorized that these people must had descended from celtic vikings and that uh, languages like cherokee were very close to welsh and it was it was mainly the Mandan tribe, Mandan tribe. So Mandan, you also have your word Dan right there, mm -hmm. which is Dan, the tribe of Dan, the Danites, which means like the sea, the seafarers, and all this stuff. Yeah, we have such a misunderstanding of native Native American culture. You can see how they spell a lot of Native American uh, words with just like way more consonants and vowels than they need to mm -hmm. and that's purely done to obscure how etymologically similar some of Amer american words native american words are to
to old world words. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I have a, a bunch of articles. I'm going to be doing a video. I'm going to be releasing a video soon that really focuses on the Greek connections and, and uh, overlays between ancient Greece and the Byzantine Empire and Ottomans with Florida and the um, yeah, Florida, the Crescent, the Greek colonies in Florida before Americans were here. The keys of Florida mm -hmm. are the Turkeys, Turkeys. Mm -hmm. And I have a satirical map from Life magazine that shows a, a uh, what if scenario if America never entered World War I. And on this map, they actually gave Florida to Turkey. Um, and the rest of America was taken by Prussia. So mm -hmm. when we talk about how much of inland America is inhabited by Mennonites and Amish people who today speak Dutch and German, high German, um, that there's your Prussia, new Prussia of like mainland America and peninsular Florida was given to the Ottomans. Well, mm -hmm. Ottoman are the Muscovies, Muscovies. And in Florida, you have Muscogees. And then you have the St. Petersburg, Russia, St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, but yeah. That's wonderful. Know. So I've heard, so I want to get back to the whole, the, the, mm. the, the Christian cosmology, because I've heard in Russia, and I don't know this, I'm just hearing all this secondhand, in Russia, they're much more Orthodox Christianity. And then I had heard that what had happened during um, the Bolshevik Revolution was essentially the mm -hmm. Coptic Christians were the massacred, massacred, mm -hmm. like something like sixty million over over thirty years were eliminated off of out of that area. So mm -hmm. I I want to know what the origins, like what the storyline behind the Coptic Christian, because if you're making this link from Russia to St. Petersburg, you know, uh, St. Petersburg's Russia down to St. Petersburg's Florida, and then well, you're talking it's, about. It's the other, it's the other Roman Empire. You know, we, when we hear Rome, we think of Rome, the Western Roman Empire. We think of what turned into Catholicism. Right. Well, what turned into Roman, I'm sorry, uh, Russian Orthodox, no, well, not just Russian, but Orthodox Christianity was uh, largely the Byzantine Empire and um, even the Ottomans partially. But when you when for those that don't know, when you when you hear Byzantine and Ottoman, um, especially Byzantine, you can kind of think of Greek culture mixing with uh, Arabic or islam culture as well as sl much slavic culture hmm. so this this um interfacing between greek russian and arabic is the same exact admixture that you find in florida whether it's the um cultural influence whether it's the names of the cities whether it's you know this or that saint petersburg uh, which I've pointed out a couple times already. You also have uh, the support of Cuba by Russia. Mm -hmm. You have, um, I forget, 
Bro, you, you would you would laugh like in before 9-11 occurred that year in Hollywood Beach, Florida at the Greek, they, they had these Greek nightclubs where they it was opas and they would be breaking dishes. Everybody's crazy getting up on the tables and dancing. Guess what? Like the most the 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 club music that was being played, it was all Middle Eastern. Wow. So it was so crazy because after 9-11 occurred, nobody was allowed to play Middle Eastern music. Mm, wow. It, it pretty much like anything that had like any type of Muslim influence was instantly negated. It, yeah. it made the nightlife so shitty because like for a lot of us that didn't drink or whatever, like going to these Greek restaurants where they would dance and they'd have live music and you get up on the tables and like get all get all nut that nutty that way that was so much fun but they were always playing these muslim jams in the back you know mm -hmm. almost sounded like belly dancing music it was so awesome because it was live and you, like everybody was like just moving there it was just awesome and um yeah 9 11 completely eliminated that like mm -hmm. they were, that that was gone um so I, you brought up this theory in a few of your videos that I love where it's, it, I don't, I forget the exact name of it. It's, it's the spawning theory. Like wherever you're spawned from, you'll come back to. Could you elaborate kind of, on yeah. that? Sure. So John Saxer has theorized who, who discovered the anchors that I made a documentary on called the Saxer Stones. Mm -hmm. These Saxer Stones were by John Saxer. And what led him to kind of piece together a lot of the Atlantis pieces of the puzzle, the Atlantis puzzle, was that um, in the area that he was living, when he moved down to Florida, he found himself in Pasco County in, or Pinellas, Pasco County in Tarpon Springs. Tarpon Springs is the most Greek city in America. And he was just kind of dumbfounded. How is it that the ancient stone anchors are here? And then you have all these Greek people who, like, if you know about the Greeks of Florida, they're just very dependent on seafood and, you know, maritime activity. That's why they came here. Well, those Greeks in 1760s, officially, this is like the mainstream history, there was a colony that was ran by Scottish company, the Florida, the East, what was it called? The British East Florida Company or East Florida Company was a company of Scotsmen who decided to colonize the Northeast coast of Florida in the 1700s. And they did so not with Scottish or British people, but with Ottomans, with Greeks and Turks and Spaniards and Italians from the Mediterranean in the 1700s uh, from what was British territory. So the, the British Navy had a lot of territory in that area and they were indenturing people into servitude and shipping them to Florida. So that's how you get 1500 Greeks and when I say Greek loosely, because at this time it was under Ottoman control. So you had Greeks, Menorcans, Spaniards, Italians, and Turks mm -hmm. 
all shipped over to Florida. And today you have over 60,000 descendants of these Greeks and Menorcans in the St. Augustine and New Smyrna area alone. That's where the word New Smyrna comes from. New Smyrna is Smyrna, an ancient Greek city in modern day, is near Turkey. Um, wow. They, they named Florida New Smyrna, mm -hmm. the city in, in Florida. So with the New Smyrna, you have 60,000 Greek people still living there today, Menorcans and Greeks. And there's a pepper. You're, I think you'll like this. There's a pepper called the Datil pepper. And the Datil pepper, Datil pepper, D-A-T-I-L. Mm -hmm. I don't know. No, there's a lot of different pronunciations. The Datil pepper, they do not know where it comes from. They don't know the origin. They don't know the history. Nothing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a little bit related to like a habanero. It looks like a habanero. It's like an orange pepper, but it doesn't crinkle. It's like long, like a habanero, mm -hmm. but orange, like, sorry, orange, like a habanero, but like a jalapeno. Mm -hmm. And basically it originates, they don't know where it originates, but it's endemic or believed to be endemic. Not, I, I'm using words I shouldn't be using. It's not endemic, but they don't know anything else about it. And it only grows in the St. Augustine area. St. John's, St. John's County, Northeast County, Northeast Florida, between Jacksonville, St. Augustine, and New Smyrna, Florida. Mm -hmm. It's the only place that this pepper grows well. And they don't know where it came from, but they know that the Menorcans who moved to Florida in the 1700s used this pepper. And they, it's this pepper's attached to Menorcan culture. So they don't know where it comes from because originally that pepper had to come from South America, right? Mm -hmm. Well, then we're told it went to Menorca and was, was bred into a unique pepper. Then they took that pepper back to the Americas where it miraculously only grows in this small part of Florida. I'm that's, not buying it. That's the narrative we're given. I'm not buying and it. Yeah. Well, you also, you know, you, you got to check under, you got to check under the furniture every once in a while. And like I said, people look at the architecture, but we got to sweep beneath the pews too, so to speak. We got to look at the nitty gritty things like cuisine and also uh, animals. Hmm. What was the bird that was almost America's national bird? What was it? The, the turkey. Okay. So Benjamin Franklin was dead set on the turkey being the American bird. He said the turkey is the phoenix. It its plumage is it's it's like a peacock only better, you know. And there's some breeds of uh, turkey that are uh, you know more um, brilliant, mm -hmm. like a peacock. And you also have, so there you have your turkey. You know, we have to look at all these, uh, these birds' names. Turkey, named for turkey, by the way. That's not by chance. They saw a bird that was so exotic. This is what we're told. They saw a bird that was so exotic. They said, wow, that looks like it's from Turkey. It looks like it, the plumage and the headdress and looks like it's from the Middle East. Well, can you guess where the word pheasant comes from? 
a fez. Ah, the fe- yeah. The fez of the Moors with the yes. plumage. Uh-huh. Well, the native Seminoles and the Muskies wore fezes with plumage and, and bird feathers. Now, what about um, a Muscovy duck? Muscovy ducks. Where does the Muscovy come from? Muscovy means a place in Russia. Those don't duck. Those ducks don't live in Russia. So why are they called Muscovy ducks? Well, maybe it's because the Muscovites were in Florida, Mm -hmm. but they're not Muscovites as we know them. They're today found to be the Muscogees. So the Muscogees are here in Florida. The Muscovies are in Russia, but we have Muscovy ducks here in Florida and all around the Gulf Coast and Caribbean. So what else? There's a couple other birds like that. Um, I could give you another. Uh, I got to hop off here in a sec. No problem. Get some dinner, but I'll give you another one. Um, our the military. I'm, I'm drawing from the Bach saga here, but I've improved on it a little bit with the English language. The Bach saga is basically a Finnish folklore that revolves around etymological phonetics and how, you know, it's basically a Germanic Kabbalah in a sense where each each uh, syllable has a meaning and each word has a history and a story and all this stuff. And I can't do it justice, so check out the Bach saga if you're interested. But according to the Bach saga, do you know where the military comes from? Where the the practice of having a military, a group of people dedicated to war making and killing and armaments and all this. The, uh, this was not, this is not human nature. This came about not too far ago, but this is not human nature. We were not killing. We were not, uh, you know, fooling around with guns yeah, before. I agree. So basically all death making regiments and, and companies and armies and military forces, all of them on the planet prior to prior to uh, Atlantis times in paradise times, you had baby making systems. These were fertility, fertility armies, armies of life creating mm-hmm. men not life-destroying men. And that might sound like a leftist's pipe dream, right? Well, I can prove it to you. It's right there in the linguistics. And it wasn't until after the flood that the the uh, structure of the military was preserved, but the application was inverted. Inverted, yeah. So you still have all of these linguistic traces that prove to us that the military system is a life-creating, life-creating order, not a life-ending order. And I'll prove it to you right here. I just have to read a little bit. The ones I can remember off the top of my head, infantry. Okay. You have your infantry. These are men dedicated to the production of infantry. Then you have your foot soldiers. Your foot soldiers are foot soul dyers. These are the men who are dying the feet, dying the soles of the feet of the baby that are born. Mm-hmm. When it, when you were born, a doctor 
took ink in your foot and ink to your foot and had your soul print. Your soul print. This is where foot soldiers come in. You also have your commander. Well, I wonder what that one has to do. <laughs> well, yeah. So you also have your lieutenant. What's mm -hmm. a lieutenant? Your lieutenant he's, is when you go to the bathroom. Yeah. He's, and you're you're tending to someone who is in the bathroom. That might have had to do with some um, <laughs> some uh, re retrieval of certain fluids, perhaps. Yes. Who knows? But a lieutenant. Mm -hmm. hmm. It's right there in the words. But let me look at another one. Now I have to look at the ones I wrote down. Um, corporal. Corporal means corp corpus has everything to do with the body. Everything to do with the creation of a body. Corporal. So mm -hmm. to bring something into existence, a corporation. People say, oh, corporation, it's a, it's a death, it's death, it means death. And that's true, there's truth to that. But it is originally, in paradise times, all, all energy-destroying art forms were energy-manifesting art mm -hmm. forms. So let me look at another one. With from corporal, if you don't want to look at it as corporal body, you could also look at it as cop corporal or to copulate copulation mm -hmm. corporal um but let me look at a, another one you might have a private hmm, i wonder what a what a private is <laughs> your private parts are you starting to see how overwhelming this yes. is yes yes it, al it almost can't be refuted now let's look at some others um you're gonna say though in the bach tradition where did they say that the actual military began where where it's always been here it's always been here and I mean, okay, I shouldn't speak for the Bach saga. I'm speaking, that's, that's my own opinions. But okay. in the Bach saga, they're working off of a timeline that's kind of in like the 55 million, 50 million ballpark. Oh, oh wow. Of, of par it, yeah, it's kind of hard to, that's where I kind of step away from the Bach saga, but it has such gold nuggets like the one I just showed you. Mm -hmm. um, and I've, I've contributed to that because they're using the Finnish language largely. Um, but shout out Carl Borgen, who wrote the Bach saga book. Um, definitely worth a read. Um, I would have well, to open, open that, that book to see some of them, some of the other ones, but. Well, speaking of a read, I know you want to go, I want to come and see you at your bookstore. I'm going to be in South Florida, uh, as of this Sunday. So, uh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It'd be cool to come up and, uh, check out your bookstore and where, where can people find you other than the old world Florida YouTube page? Um, old underscore world underscore Florida on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I've got a Twitter, but I don't really, I don't remember what the name is. So it doesn't matter. And, um, yeah, that's it really. YouTube, best place to uh, stay tuned. This has been awesome. I have, I feel like we've just barely touched what I want to get into, but I understand, sure. I, I understand you've been a marathoner the last couple of days, so I'll, I'll let you yeah. go. But, I didn't uh, show any, I didn't show anything the whole time too. So we'll do it again and I can maybe present a little bit more and, and show, uh, show some stuff that goes yeah. along with what we're saying. And I won't throw such a fastball to start off with. 
That's okay. Don't worry. That's, <laughs> that's good. I was just a little high. <laughs> no problem, my man. Well, I look forward to seeing you in person, and uh, I'll send everybody your way, my friend. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate right. it. Talk to you soon. Have a good one. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. Narco Longo. Please check out his videos at Old World Florida. I'm going to be doing a follow-up with him very soon. He only had, you know, about an hour and a half. He was uh, marathoning it the night before uh, on his YouTube channel because he had 25,000 subs. So he's grown in, in great popularity because he's actually given us some really, really good info and the thing that i love about him is that he backs it up like he does field studies he goes and interviews people he gets to feel feel things with his hands and feet like he actually gets to these areas that he's describing which is really kind of cool it's, it's the uh it's it's the proper way of doing things from my perspective um i have a request in to uh, michelle gibson because michelle gibson if you don't know her channel um, on YouTube. She's been exploring the whole Moorish side of the old world, which is the new world, which is the old world. So um, I'm going to have her, I'm interviewing her because uh, along, along with the Mormon cosmology and uh, what she's revealing and old world Florida's revealing, it's really neat. I think, uh, I think we might be traipsing on Typhonian land. Uh, this Monday, I have an interview with uh, Cal Washington. He is a personal, um, I guess you would say, icon to me. He's not an idol, he's an icon. He's uh, been an inspiration to me when it comes to training yourself with the law. But it's the law coming from a spiritual perspective. And uh, he figured out the whole system was running on law merchant. So... Uh, what that essentially means is at the end of the day all everything is transacting through some sort of monetary uh, value and when you learn what's what's happening in the world with how they're trying to digitize our biology and um, make predictions and off of that for securities what he has to say makes a ton of sense because it just seems like in at every window they keep trying to create new markets for new monetary instruments new securities so i'm really looking forward to that interview i will post that i'm going to bump bump a couple people and put that up immediately because um the empower movement has um they went ahead and uh, published their their notice of liability which I think is very important for those people that are, uh, you know, staking the claim as a as a man or woman in good standing on their property. So uh, please like and subscribe, share. Uh, the The podcast is going great. Our numbers are growing weekly. Uh, we're going to do live streams pretty soon here once once I get my crew on site. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be good to go. Thank you for your time and attention. And uh, hit us up on the Telegram chat. It's the BioCharisma podcast on Telegram chat. And uh, I, I usually answer back within a day or two. All right. Have a good one. I can't tell